Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Do you see what I see? see what I see? We also, we uh, often only ask that question at Christmas, but I think it's worth asking that question today and every other day. So if you did not get up early enough to see the moon, it's, it's probably still out there. Well, I mean, I know it's actually still out there, but it may still be out there and visible. And if so, get up right now, wherever you are and go, go look at it. Go look at it because it's one of those mornings where if you can see it, the moon just happens to be really stunning. And you're going to say, you know, Carmen, the moon is stunning every time it's this shape and size and this close. And I don't know, does it actually get closer or further away? It's just the appearance of being closer and further away. Like, I don't get the whole science of the harvest moon. Like, why does it look so big sometimes of the year? Well, anyway, I digress. Do you see what I see? Um, you and I live in the context of, um, of a world where not everyone sees the same things. Um, and not everybody sees everything the same way or from the same perspective. And so when I ask the question, do you see what I see? Um, it's important for you to know the worldview in which I'm operating, the eyes through which I'm looking. I see it all through the gospel, all of it. I see brokenness and fear and death through the lens of the gospel. I see joy and love and promise and springtime through the lens of the gospel. And yeah, I see love through the lens of the gospel. It is the view through which I see everything, including you. Do you see what I see when I look at you? (laughs) Do you see what God sees when he looks at you? 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 are our growing your faith verses of the day. God has shown you how much he loves you by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us, that God loves us. And sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Do you see what God sees when he looks at you? Do you see a person so loved, so loved, that he would send and sacrifice his own son in order that your sins could be forgotten, washed away? God does not look at you and see a sinner. God looks at you and sees a beloved child, redeemed in Christ. 
I want, I want to invite you to embrace that today. Receive that today. God actually wants you to know you are loved and to experience that love and to turn to him and receive that love. It's like this wrapped gift sitting on a shelf. Has your name on it. But you're not opening it. Do you see what I see? Do you see a God who loves you so much? He's even shown you his love. He's shown you how much he loves you. He has sent his son, Jesus, the one and only, into the world that you might have eternal life through him, yes, but real life here and now, real love here and now. And yes, it's important that we respond to God's love and love, but it's not about us loving God. It is about the fact that God loves us. God loves you. And God has sent his son as a sacrifice to take away your sins. Do you see that today? It's beautiful. Our friend Van Bennett's going to join us next. Um, He is the host of The Equipped. He's also been uh, guest hosting for Bill Arnold. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, what that experience has been like. Um, Let's talk about the beautiful, the good, the true. That's all next with Van Bennett. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Okay, I am totally appreciating the pictures of the moon that you are out there taking uh, because I sent you on a little expedition to go see the moon. Deborah uh, says, hey, you're right about the moon. Here is the moonlight glistening on the water. The city lights uh, are the French Harbor in Roatan, Honduras. Good morning, um, and thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Deborah, for being here as well. Uh, Becky, checking in as well, says, yes, glorious moon through the branches of the trees this morning. Amen. You guys are seeing what I'm seeing. So I appreciate that. Mary checking in with a picture of the moon from last night as well. She's like, yeah, beat you to it. Beat you to it. Saw that beautiful moon. Uh, Do you see what I see this morning? Um, Invite you to consider your perspective and your worldview and the lens through which you're looking at everything. I'm looking at at it all through the beauty and the truth of the gospel. Van Bennett is joining us now. He is the host of The Equipped and the author of the Equipped Newsletter. So you can check it out, theequippednewsletter.com. Than, welcome back. Hey, friend. Uh, good morning. And I, I stepped outside of the studio during that short break. My studio's in one end of my barn. And I've got to tell you, I hate to disappoint you, I've got too much cloud cover. I can't see I know. what you see I know. this morning. So you are going to have to believe by faith. You're going to have to well, take it. You're going to have to take it on the word of a one who has seen it. Like I am a I am a witness, I am a witness and I witness and I am I'm just telling you the moon is just beautiful this morning. Well, my my history with you Carmen says that your <laughs> word can be trusted. So I'm going to go with it. I'll give it another shot after we're done yeah. here. <laughs> I I gave up on lying uh in 7th grade cuz <laughs> it was not working out for me. I was really having a problem with the truth in 7th grade and that did not work out for me well. So I I am uh I'm a person who's been Fiercely committed to the truth since the seventh grade. There you go. That's a whole other story, though. Um, viewing everything through the lens of the true and the beautiful. Um, that's what you're going to get when you visit the Equipped Newsletter at theequippednewsletter.com. What is, what is the true this morning? I'm not even going to try to say the word. 
Yeah, it, it's a tough one because it's not actually a real word. So don't don't accuse me of lying. I'll, I'll explain this. It'll make sense in just a minute. But the the true this morning, Carmen, is about the the made up mashed mashed up word imaginativity, and uh, it was it came out from my daughter uh, Brell, who is our oldest daughter, our middle child, and she said, "I have." imaginativity. And then she she was sort of embarrassed and she corrected herself. And she means, I I, I mean that I have an imagination and creativity, but uh, I got to tell you, I I prefer the made up word. I (laughs) I prefer uh, just using imaginativity. So I'm going to claim it. I I don't know if it'll ever be in the dictionary, but I'm going to go with it. And uh, the true is really built around sort of that made up word because, you know, it, this goes this goes to your point about the moon, Carmen. Our, our God has tremendous imaginativity. He the first thing that we know about him is that he is a creator. And I put a couple of fun links in the newsletter version of the equipped this week, because if anyone doubts that our God has a vivid imagination. I want you to click on a couple of these links. One is of something called the proboscis monkey. Have you ever <laughs> seen a proboscis monkey? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think I had either. Another one is a man-faced stink bug. And I've got to tell you, I, I can't even describe these creatures. You're just going to have to click on the pictures. And you can't see. unsee them. You can't unsee them. Once you've seen them, you can't unsee them. Have you looked, Carmen? I have. I'm clicking. I'm clicking. So so you've seen what I've seen. Okay. That is crazy. So look, that is crazy. Who put that? Who put that face on that bug? Isn't it nuts? Okay. Do you know that that the if you if you could swim underneath um, uh, a stingray or a or a manta ray, you would see that they smile all the time. God has created their mouths. To have a permanent smile. But no one, I mean, imagine how long it was before any human being ever saw that. And it just, all it did was brought glory to God and, and he enjoyed it. Like this man-faced stink bug. God's the only one who saw this for a long time, I feel confident. That is, that is the silliest thing I've ever seen. It is, it is so wild, and it's straight from God's imagination. So look, I, I feel like he's given us the creative liberty for me to make up a word like imaginativity and, and, and apply it to him, right? Um, but here's, here's the application for us this morning, because all of that is, is awesome, and it reflects his, his creativity and his imagination. But Carmen, you, you and I and your listeners, we are, we are the pinnacle of this. And again, this, this, this goes to your open, but we are God's handiwork. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and here's the part that I really want to, for, uh, for it to sink in for us today. We're made in his image. And so if he has imaginativity, then so should we. We, we were born to create, we were, we were created to imagine, we were designed to copy, to mimic, to emulate, to model our creator, and that includes imaginativity. And so, look, I, I know this world, I've experienced this a lot. Our, our world is prone to sort of wring this out of us, right? Because it takes courage, because we don't, we're not sure if our unique giftings are going to be received well by, by the world. But here, here's what I want to challenge us on. I think if the God of the universe that displays this imaginativity invested your listeners with unique 
uh, skills and abilities and creativity and imagination, then I think he probably created an audience out there that was intended to be reached by those giftings. And so I'm going to leave it there, but I just want to put that challenge out to your listeners. If you are dealing with, with a, a courage issue in releasing a dream into the world, I want you to consider who God might be trying to reach with that. And this is, this is not just self-help. This is not about us. This is about bringing glory to our God, using and committing our skills to his glory. But I believe he has put those things in us, Carmen, in order to reach specific people. And so just want to encourage people to get over that fear. Your God has imaginativity. So do you. And you were designed to use it. Fan Bennett, um, check your Twitter feed at Fan Bennett. I have posted the uh, smiling stingray so that you'll have another imaginativity um, hook because it's so cute. It's so cute. I I see the notification. Uh, It's going to take me just a moment. Right. No, it's okay. It's okay. No, that's good. Um, We're going to, we're going to turn in our conversation um, to other things. What, so here's what fan does in his newsletter in case you're not familiar with this. We always lead with the true. We always want to lead um, lead off with the true. We want to be talking about that which is true. And so we're talking about God's handiwork. We're talking about God's creativity. We're talking about God's imagination. And yes, we're talking about our imaginativity. Yes, say it, practice it. It's a party for your mouth. It's a new word being introduced today only on Mornings with Carmen, although maybe later on Afternoons with Bill Arnold as well. Imaginativity, imaginativity. Go ahead, roll it over in your, roll it over in your mouth. Look at the pictures of the man-faced stink bug. Um, yeah, consider things like the perma smile on the face of a stingray, all, all of that. I have a, um, I have an audio book series to recommend to you. Um, fan, how old is your daughter? The the imaginativity one. She's thirteen. Mm-hmm. So she may think it's a little silly now because she may be beyond sort of the perfection age of Hank the cow dog. But Hank the cow dog has one episode called the Cookie Moon, and um, it would be fun. So anyway, you can check it I, out. I'm writing it down, but let me tell you this, Carmen. My 11 year old daughter, Hope. <gasps> She wears a panda suit constantly, day and night, day she, and night. So I'm, I'm pretty sure she's going to like Hank the Cow Dog. <laughs> Hank the Cow Dog is pretty is pretty amazing. Um, okay, um, we're going to pivot to some hard news, right? And so when we talk about um, the conversations of what's happening in the world, and we pivot from conversations about um, the true in terms of the worldview that we have because we know who God is and how great he is and wonderful he is. And then we pivot and we look at the realities of the world around us. Um, we, it's sober judgment. We approach these conversations with sober judgment. But you and I are people who bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. And Than is helping us do that today. So um, Than, let's, um, let's talk about Alexei Navalny. Um, and then we'll get to some other headlines as well. Um, this is a person who uh, was a person of great conviction, and he is now dead, uh, died in a Russian prison. Could you bring this story into perspective for us today? 
Yeah, so Carmen, I, I love that setup because these pivots are always so difficult. That's why we do this, quite honestly, because we know the stories of our world do not mesh easily with the perfection of Christ, and yet we are supposed to bring that mind of Christ to them, and so it's why we do it. But yes, uh, uh, Alexei Navalny, he has been the leading political opponent to Russian President Vladimir Putin for some time now. He, he is now dead. He was in prison. He was being held in an Arctic prison serving uh, a sentence or actually a series of sentences that added up to about 30 years after being convicted several times on charges related to extremism. Now, the first thing that that people need to know, they, they, they likely are aware of this, but the rest of the free world uh, pretty much universally views these charges as unfounded, Carmen. They, they view them as political retribution from President uh, Putin, uh, simply punishment for being a political opponent to him. So really, without even knowing what Alexei Navalny stands for, uh, his, his punishment is certainly um, out of step with what we know to be uh, freedom and, and, the, and, the, and the tenets of scripture that we are called to as, as individuals. And so uh, he died last week in prison. The official account from uh, uh, from prison officials and from Russian government officials is that it was accidental after a walk. His his mother was told that he died of sudden death syndrome. Um, but I will just tell you, Carmen, the rest of the world is not going to buy this. The, the the Russian regime and President Putin uh, himself has a long history of retribution to political opponents, and so uh, that that explanation is going to come under great uh, skepticism. I, I, I would say this, though. I would, I would give us a couple of reminders to apply the, the mind of Christ. And the first one is simply a reminder that this freedom that we enjoy in our country, modeled after Galatians 5, uh, Carmen, it's, it's not evident everywhere. It's not universally available. And so my, my real encouragement in this is this story is not going away. Navalny's widow is going to carry on the political mission. But for us as people of Jesus, and especially those of us living with such robust freedom, I really think we have a duty to use that freedom, not for ourselves, but to speak out for those who are not uh, experiencing and able to walk in it. We, we hear that admonition. We also hear the admonition that we're to be for the oppressed and the suffering. Obviously, there's a lot of suffering in Ukraine at the hands of President Putin right now. But those of us that have freedom, we should be using it for those uh, who do not. We're talking with our friend Than Bennett. You can find everything that we're talking about at theequippednewsletter.com. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Um, what What is sort of the maximum financial penalty you could pay? If somebody said, hey, you... Um, we have we have this judgment against you. You have done this thing, and it has so offended us that um, you now have to pay this penalty. How much penalty could you pay before you got like thrown into debtor's prison? We got a lot of texts in scripture where people can't can't pay um, what what they owe for one reason or another to someone else, and the judgment against them results in them being thrown into prison. Um, how much could you pay? I mean, could you find a way to pay $355 million in penalties? Yeah. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. What season of life are you in right now? Season of life. There are lots of ways to answer that question. So what season of life are you in right now? You may feel as if you are in a season of hopeful expectation or a season of desperation. You may feel as if you are in a dry season or a rainy season or maybe a season of abundance. 
Maybe this is a transitional season for you. What season of life are you in right now? Let me say first that you're not alone in whatever season you are in. And let me also say that God wants to meet you and be with you in that current season, even in that season of wilderness or dryness. And God wants to lead you through that current season to the next one. Discover what God is doing in your life now and where he's leading next at this year's Set Apart Conference for Women. It's March 8 and 9 at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can register today at setapartconference.com. That's setapartconference.com. A judge ruled against former President Trump in a civil fraud trial in New York, and the penalty um, the penalty was $355 million, but interest has been accruing every day at a rate of $87,000, and so the former president now owes more than $500 million um, just in this one civil fraud case, uh, and so... This is a good conversation for us to be read in on, um, because certainly people in the culture will be talking about it. So Than Bennett is here. It is a part of his Equipped newsletter, which you can find at theequippednewsletter.com. All right, Than, help us understand, um, you know, from from a biblical and eternal worldview, what's going on here? So, Carmen, first, this is going to feel a little awkward, but I just wanted to let you know I looked at that smiling stingray <gasps> over the break. Two mm-hmm. observations. One, you're mm-hmm. a radio a professional because you can say this word, imaginativity. And two, mm-hmm. you must be an author because um, it is very hard to get that word into text without it autocorrecting. So, so well done on that. Um, look, this story, I hate this story, Carmen. I, mm-hmm. I hate writing about this story. Uh, th- this story, uh, the stories about the challenges against former President Trump, the stories about the uh, cases and the, and the political uh, maneuvers against the current president. I hate these stories because they pull us apart. Uh, mm. They pull us apart no matter what the facts are. And so I, I, I like cringe every time that this is, that I write about this. But I do it because I really my heart, Carmen, is that we would grow in the grace of embracing uh, an interaction with these stories that pull us apart in a way that actually points us to Jesus and actually draws us closer to each other. Again, hearkening back to your open. The facts in this story are that a judge has ordered the former president, Donald Trump, to pay $355 million plus interest. And so, you know, even if he could pay it here soon, it would probably be about a half a billion dollars. Um, I was kind of chuckling to myself when you asked how much I could afford to pay. I could probably afford to pay about $3.55. So (laughs) this is an unbelievably huge figure. But here, here is what I would say. I, I think that we as Jesus followers need to have 2 Timothy 1.7 in the front of our minds when we, when we deal with this situation. Because if our American way of, of enacting justice is going to survive, it is going to have to be applied blindly without, without bias uh, compared to political perspective or anything else. That really hangs in the balance. The public does not believe that either of these cases— the cases against Donald Trump or the cases against 
against Joe Biden or his son Hunter. They do not believe that they are free of political bias. And so I think we as people of Jesus need to model how to do that. And I would just tell you, and this is going to be very practical, it might even seem very obvious, but I think we have to do two things to have any shot at this. I think, number one, we have to carefully evaluate how much of these stories we should be consuming. I think we should be aware of them, but they can't surplant our, our focus on what is true and, and beautiful. And that's why we have to monitor the volume that we take them in on. And then second, Carmen, and this is going to be difficult, but to the extent that we interact with them, I think we need to, to model Proverbs eighteen seventeen. I think we need to read source information and evidence from both sides. It is going to be very difficult to get that from any sort of news consumption. You're actually going to have to interact with the information for yourself. And I think that's a way we can model 2 Timothy 1.7 as well. And honestly, if we come to the table with fellow Jesus followers from different perspectives, both having done that, I think you would find those conversations around merit rather than, you know, maybe political perspective. I think you would find them a whole lot more worthwhile. Um, for those of you listening today and paying attention to the news, yes, the former president did give a speech last night um, to the gathering of the National Religious Broadcasters, um, and that full speech is now available online if you want to listen to it. I think that the line that stands out to me, um, and this is just something just to consider in terms of the language um, used and how, how you hear this and how you receive it. How would you hear and receive anybody saying, I'm a very proud Christian? So just... Just roll that language around in your mind um, and and just think today, like, is that the way, is that a turn of phrase that um, that the world or the culture would understand? And what does that say about how we understand ourselves as Christians? Um, am I a proud Christian? Like, what does that, what does that mean? How do you understand that kind of language? This is the way I would encourage us to be evaluating what we're hearing. Um, on the other side of the aisle, I think we should be evaluating every single time um, you know, a person uses a turn of phrase like, um, um, well, uses God's name as a turn of phrase. Um, and you hear it a lot. And so I think as Christians, our, our ears should be alert and we should be, um, we should be critical on both sides of the aisle in terms of how God is co-opted um, into political speech and for political purposes. Because I think that's, that's the kind of... Um, of lens that filter that we need to have going into the conversations that are before us. Um, let's uh, let's not miss the opportunity to acknowledge that you are co-hosting, filling in for Bill Arnold afternoons with Bill Arnold. So what's on top? What do you got? What do you got? What's what do you got going, man? <laughs> it's been so fun. This this is a reflection of the beauty of all the different ways God has created us. Uh, this afternoon, I am going to be having a conversation with Vermont Pierre. He is a pastor. He has a new book called Dearly Beloved, How God's Love for His Church Deepens Our Love for Each Other. And then in the beauty that is uh, God echoing, and with a little assist from Bill's wonderful producer, Wyatt, the second hour is going to be with Dr. Gary Lovejoy who has a book called Marriages in the Bible, What mm. Do They Tell Us? So we're going to spend a couple hours around this concept of marriage and God's deep love for us and how that should be reflected in the way that we interact with each other. So sounds a, a little bit familiar to our conversation, Carmen. 
Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Well, bless you as you um, as you embark on that adventure this afternoon. Um, thank you, as always, for being with us. Obviously, you guys, we didn't have time to cover everything um, that is in the equipped newsletter. And uh, and again, the one of the reasons, in fact, maybe in terms of your visual joy, the primary reason that you need to check out the equipped newsletter at theequippednewsletter.com is so you can scroll down and look at yet another beautiful image um, by Than's wife, Brooke. Um, her photography is, it's, it's artwork and it's absolutely stunning. Um, and so check that out because we always want to land the plane um, on the beautiful. So, so thank you, Than, as always, um, for being here with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Carmen. Um, we love you. Yeah, absolutely. That's mutual. That's mutual. Um, we have made a lot of really simple things extraordinarily complicated in our digital age. So all of these things that, you know, we think we have for efficiency or convenience and speed, we sacrifice something in order um, to have all of this convenience and speed and efficiency. So what are we sacrificing? I'm thinking here about um, the very simple machine called the crane. You familiar with the crane? Not the bird, but the very, very simple machine. Pulley and lever, right? Well, that very simple machine is now a very, very complicated piece of equipment because of digital technology. And in fact, um, can be, because of digital technology, um, shut off and even remotely controlled. Well, that is now causing grave concern among America's lawmakers because apparently most of our cranes are now made in China. And so now there is a concern that all of our U.S. ports um, could be hacked. Yeah, we're taken offline. So we're going to talk about um, living in the birdcage of optimization. That's the language of Chris Martin. And we're going to talk about it next. Some of this is a conversation about giving up the digital to sort of go back to the analog. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, uh, we talked about um, imaginativity in the first hour and uh, in the first conversation, and now we are going to talk about um, the birdcage of optimization. Just because, you know, it's fun words this morning on Mornings with Carmen. Chris Martin is back. He's the content marketing editor for Moody Publishers. He's the author of Terms of Service and The Wolf in Their Pockets. He is an expert in the social internet and really kind of how it threatens us. So, Chris, welcome back. Hey, good to talk to you and good to see you yesterday. We actually got to yeah, see each other in person. I know. Saw each other in the hallway, passing by. Um, what is the birdcage of optimization and why were you raised in it? Oh, I don't know that I was raised in it, but I think <laughs> it was it was definitely coming. Uh, I like the becoming... idea that you might be raised in a birdcage. I don't know. Well, it was, sure, it was kind of sure. a fun, fun visual. It would be a big... <laughs> You're taller than than, than you appear on radio, and so yeah. it just have to be a really big birdcage. That's right. Yes, that's that's for sure. But the birdcages of optimization that children are being raised in <laughs> are certainly you know they're still prevalent today. But I would say yeah, probably around the time I was a teenager or or you know more in late high school, early college is really when birdcages of optimization really started to be a thing. What is that term? Frankly, I didn't come up with it. I, I came up I. I'm referring to something that someone tweeted um, about how teenagers today and in the last decade or so 
have been raised have, have been raised in bird cages of optimization. And that's exactly what it sounds like if you can just this early in the mm-hmm. morning, you know, use your brain and think about those words. Children being raised in bird cages, okay, that means they don't have freedom to move about as they wish or go here, there, and everywhere. And they're bird cages not just to keep them safe, but also bird cages of optimization where parents kind of feel this need, perhaps just pressure from broader culture or some sort of internalized pressure to optimize their children, to make their children as best as possible. And while parents throughout history have wanted what's best for their kids, there does seem to be within at least American culture, perhaps Western culture more broadly, this heightened sense in the last decade or or two of hyper-optimizing your kids. You know, it's, it's kids going from playing three sports a year to playing one sport a year and making sure every kid gets every particular educational need they that they need and, and fulfilled that they need and all of that. And so this comes from a, a Twitter thread I read a number of weeks ago by a user named at underscore Ted KS. I just refer to the user as Ted. I don't know what this person's name actually is. Um, and I don't know. I don't even know who this person is. I don't know if they're a psychologist, a sociologist or whatever, but they share this user shares a ton of really helpful charts and diagrams and statistics. And with some brief comments, just about how children from, you know, com- as compared to the late 20th century, uh, today in the early 21st, in the in the 2010s and through to today, basically are, if you wonder why anxiety rates are on the rise, one, you can look at cell phones and, and the user points to that. But also you can look at this sort of being raised in a birdcage of optimization where children today mm-hmm. aren't really allowed to leave their parents' care. You've seen, you've perhaps. I know, perhaps I love the one. I love this yeah, map. Ahead. So there's on here, yeah. one of the things yeah. is this map. And I know it's visual. And so you're listening and you're like, I can't see that. Okay. So here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine um, a map, a, a, a topographical map. And I want you to imagine how far your great grandfather was allowed to walk. So in this case, George, who was eight years old in 1919, was allowed to walk six miles from home to go fishing by himself. So would you allow uh, an eight-year-old to walk six miles to go fishing by himself? There's just one question. Okay, and then you go just to the very next generation. Jack, when he was age eight in 1950, he was allowed to walk one mile on his own in the woods. Would you let your eight-year-old walk a mile in the woods by themselves today? All right, and then you go one generation back. Vicky, when she was eight... 1979, was allowed to walk to the swimming pool that was half a mile away. But she was allowed to walk there alone. Would you allow your eight-year-old daughter to walk to the swimming pool um, a half a mile from your house today? So then the son, Ed, who is now eight in 2024, he is only allowed to walk on his own to the end of his own street, which is 300 yards And only then with an adult standing on the porch watching him. So that map is illustrative about how much fear we have about specifically child abduction. But what are the stats on child abduction over that same period of time? Right, exactly. So you have in the 1960s and 70s, the sort of emergence of the stranger danger concept. And then in the 1980s, the advent of 24-hour news channels. And then 80s and 90s, you have this satanic ritual abuse panic, the satanic panic that happened. And then in 2000, you have a study by the University of Michigan that found that a children's range has shrunk by 90% since the 1970s due to fears over all of that. And 
frankly, I don't have a bunch of stats in, in the article I wrote, but the stats about child abduction are not um, – they do not demand the kind of restrictive response that we have put on children. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to let my Maggie, who's currently <laughs> almost four, when she's eight, I'm not saying I'm going to let her walk you know, three miles to go get, a, go get a drink at the gas station or something like that. But I might let her walk around the block when she's 10, you know, or, or something like this. I, I think it's important for us. And, and, you know, we've talked a lot about Jonathan Haidt on this article, uh, on this program before. And I've, I've cited him in many articles in my books. Jonathan Haidt and others are doing tremendous work on sort of what free range parenting looks like. And that can be a sort of goofy sounding term. But really, I mean, we see a lot of parents today getting prosecuted or at least accused of crimes for letting their children play at a playground when they sit in the car or something like that. And I think it's important for us to consider what the effects on our children uh, when we restrict them so heavily. And we saw some freedom, and we can maybe talk about this even after the break. We saw in the early 2000s how the early iterations of social media actually led to some mental health benefits for children who perhaps felt like they were already being restricted in the 90s and early 2000s. The internet gave them a sort of way to live outside of that birdcage of optimization, this newfound technology of social media and AOL, MySpace. But then when we got the smartphone in the early 2010s and more, frankly, toxic versions of social media and extra ways for parents to surveil, to surveil their children via their phones, we start to see the birdcage even go up around that freedom on the internet. And then anxiety rates and mental health issues continue to skyrocket again in the early 2010s. And so it's really interesting to consider these various concepts. And and we should ask ourselves, if those of us who are parents of little ones like myself or even parents of teenagers, what does it look like to protect my kid, understandably so, and, and, and in a healthy, wise way, but also give them the freedom they need to stretch their wings and explore and, and explore a little bit of risk, even if carefully. Yeah, so just give some thought to the reality that your great-grandparents lived in, and then your grandparents, and then your parents, and then you, and now your children, and potentially your grandchildren. Um, and obviously, the world has changed a lot because of technology, um, but there are ways in which we as human beings have not changed in terms of our need to explore and learn things from our, for ourselves and, and yeah, get hurt along the way. It's how resilience is developed. Um, and so we do need to have some freedom to fail within limits um, and to get hurt within boundaries um, in order that we can actually be strengthened. And so we're going to continue our conversation here with Chris Martin in just a moment. Because he's now a dad um, and, you know, and faced with the, the same kinds of choices that each and every one of us um, have. And so how important is it to allow our kids the freedom to fail um, within, within limits and to allow them to get hurt, even when they're in our care, um, in order that they can, they can become resilient human beings? So we're going to continue this conversation next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people. 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. 
Just text the word APP to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. Did you grow up on a farm? Did you grow up um, in the country? Did you grow up with some, you know, freedom of movement? I grew up uh, in initially uh, on a farm in Indiana, but then we moved to Tampa, Florida, and we lived in uh, we lived in a neighborhood. But you know, you had bikes, and kids, other kids had skateboards, and my parents had this bell. I mean, I I th- I feel like it was an iron bell, like a cast iron bell, and it was on our back porch, and. Um, my mom or dad would ring it, and when you heard that bell, it was like time to come home from wherever you were. Wherever you had wandered, it was time to come home um, when you heard the bell ring. And I like wonder to myself now, did nobody else in our neighborhood have a bell? Or did their bells sound different? And I like like legit knew the sound of the bell on our porch versus theirs. Like, I don't know. But anyway, it was the indication that it was time to come home from wherever you had, you know, wandered in the afternoon. We're talking with Chris Martin. He's the um uh, well, I, I, I think of him as a social media expert. That might be uh, lingo that's not accurate, but he's the content marketing editor for Moody Publishers, and he's the author of Terms of Service, which is the real cost of social media, and then the follow-on, The Wolf in Their Pockets, um, 13 Ways the Social Internet Threatens the People You Lead, and that is you know a, a parenting um, help manual as well as really, really good for those of you who are engaged in ministry. Um, with young people in particular. And so we're talking about um, how we are raising our kids and how kids are um, failing to thrive because of all the ways that they are really not allowed to spread their wings. So raised in a birdcage of optimization are Chris's reflections. You can find them at chrismartin.fyi. Chris, you know, you're a parent now. And these are choices that you um, and your wife are making. So can you just talk with us about, like, how much freedom are we going to give them? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. And I think, you know, this is um, something we've thought a little bit about and something we will continue to think about. A lot of our thoughts so far um, as we parent, especially our almost four-year-old, our, our uh, five-month-old, our second Daisy <laughs> turns five months old today. Uh, Daisy! We're not, we're not too- yeah, I love not, I love I love that. That's so fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. We're not too concerned about her wandering off anywhere yet. But um <laughs> but Maggie, who's almost four, you know, she um we are we are having a lot of conversations in this regard. And while, you know, she, now she rides her bike and her her uh power wheels jeep up and down the road, um we, we tend to not let her go out of sight uh using that, but we'll let her go a few houses down or whatever without following her right behind her or whatever. And and but more so what we're thinking about as parents, and look, I'm not a parenting expert, I'm a social media guy. So don't, you know, take this as an anecdotal story, sort of uh personal experience, not advice. I think what we're what we're considering is what I wrote here at the end of the article. I, I once heard someone say, I don't remember who said it, that the key to building resilience in children is to let them do dangerous things carefully. And I saw it. I actually heard that quote, like in a in a short video somewhere on the internet, it combined with a video of a of a little boy who was probably about four years old doing something. I think he was, you know, walking on some plank and fell off and and bumped his head or something like that. And it's like, yeah, this is what it is. Kind of funny. And he, he the parents got a good laugh out of it. But like, what it looks like to let our children do dangerous things carefully is where they're going to grow in resilience. Because what I don't want to do is always be running around my child saying, be careful, be care- you're going to hurt yourself. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Because I don't want to you know, create a sort of anxiety in my child, but also 
sometimes like, you know, I'm not going to let her, I'm not going to let Maggie do something that I think, oh, if she falls here, she's going to crack yeah. her head open. Naturally, right. you know, th- there are lines here, but you know, if she, if she's going to run around and like, okay, yeah, she might, she shouldn't be running around in those rain boots as fast as she is, but if she falls down, she's going to get a scraped knee or a bloody lip and that'll be that, you know? And, and mm-hmm. so I think, I think it's things like that where letting our, letting our children fall and scrape their knees or, or learn small lessons, I think is a really important way to let our kids grow in resilience. And I think about this, like I said, a lot with regard to social media. I talk to a lot of parents about when their kids should have access to a phone or to social media or whatever. And I think I, I'm not a guy who's going to say, oh, don't, don't even let them have it till they're out of the house. Because I think there's a lot of wisdom to letting a child have a phone or social media while they're still in the care of a parent, because frankly, having a phone or getting on social media as a 15 or 16 year old is could be seen as doing something dangerous carefully. Um, and so I think even building, you know, technological resilience within your children, it's important to let them fail in your care rather than protect them so much that they never really fail until they're outside of your care and they don't really know how to handle it. Mm. Um, you have me thinking about Jesus sending out the 72 in Luke chapter 10 um, and how he really did send them to do dangerous things. But he did so um, after preparing them and giving them counsel and advice. And then when they returned back with, you know, stories to tell, he he affirmed those. And then later we we learn um, that there were some things they couldn't do that they tried to do, but they couldn't do. And um, and. That's true as we're raising our kids as well. So allowing them to to do things that are dangerous, but doing so carefully, preparing them as best we can, um, and having a game plan, like you're going to go, here's where you're going to go, here's what you're going to do, and then you're going to come back and we're going to talk about it. Um, we're going to talk about what you experienced, what you learned, what you saw, what you felt. Um, I do think that this provides an opportunity for ac- us to actually grow in relationship with our kids in a disciple in a way that... We walk with them and yet not hovering over them, bulldozing everything in front of them, um, helicoptering, like all of the things that we know are not good. Um, and we learn, again, to to do it better. Yeah, for sure. I think I think a lot of times I think I did read Jonathan Haidt say something about this one time, perhaps in his book, The Coddling of the American Mind, that a lot of helicopter parenting, if you want to, you know, if you understand what that term means broadly, just kind of hovering over your children. And like you said, blazing away for them to make sure their life is as easy as possible and making sure nothing ever hurts them. That can a lot of times be rooted in anxiety of the parent more, more than rooted in a desire to protect a child. Um, And so I think a lot of times what what I have had to work through, and I, I know my wife has too, I believe, in as we've considered like how how far to let our four-year-old you know how 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 close do we let her get to accidentally hurting herself as she tries to do something on her scooter or whatever is kind of like okay am i trying to protect her for her sake or am i just afraid of her crying or her um you know being afraid of riding her scooter or is there is there something that i'm afraid of or is there something that's truly perhaps harmful to my child. And so I think as parents, something that we're just working through is how often is our desire to overprotect our child rooted in more of our concern for ourselves or our our ease of life and how much of it is actually a concern for the wellness of the child. And what I think we should consider is that sometimes getting a scraped knee while riding your scooter is actually better than never getting a scraped knee riding your scooter. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Jim is uh, weighing in from Simsbury, Connecticut, and he's like, I just, uh, you guys have got me thinking about Charlie Brown. And in Charlie Brown, there's just always all kids and just very few adults and almost no supervision. <laughs> there you go. What a time. There you go. That's true. What a time. What a time. All right. Um, Lucy, get out there with your football, but, you know, treat, uh, treat Charlie with some respect because um, we don't want to see him constantly on his back and hurting. Um, Chris, as always, what a joy. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. You guys, um, Chris Martin is still writing and blogging. Um, maybe not as regularly as uh, you remember, but um, he is doing so on a new platform and in new ways. And it's a gift and it's personal. And so I just really encourage you to check it out. I'm happy to send you the direct link. It's chrismartin.fyi. All right. I'll take a deep breath today. Um, do you see what I see? Are you seeing things the way that I'm seeing them? Always love to hear from you and your input. The text line's always open, 877-933-2484. We have some resources for you at MyFaithRadio.com. If you haven't been there, maybe ever, maybe you've actually never visited with us at MyFaithRadio.com. We want to send you a welcome pack. So um, it's a way for you to get to know us more fully. Um, And if you are familiar with us and you want to become an ambassador for Faith Radio, we talked about that yesterday with my friend Jessica. She's a Faith Radio ambassador. You can be one, too. We'd love to hook you up with um, some Faith Radio materials that you can then share with others as you invite people into this ministry. If this has been a blessing and it benefits you, maybe you know somebody else that we could bless and to whom um, this ministry could be beneficial. So you go to MyFaithRadio.com, you click on the About tab, and the first thing that pops up are Faith Radio Ambassadors. I'm going to invite you into this because this is a ministry that you and I do together. Like you and I have these conversations, and then we all go out into the world that God so loves, and we seek to represent Jesus as his representatives. And wouldn't we like to have some equipping to do that? Yeah. Well, there's tons of it available at MyFaithRadio.com. It's all there for the taking um, because of gifts from listeners like you as well. So thank you to each of you who financially support the ministry. We got another hour together up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.